are listening to Radio Maria. This is Credo, and it's a pleasure to have Father Nick Blackwell again with us this evening. Father Nick is a Carmelite friar, and he joins us this evening from D.C. He's studying uh, canon law at the Catholic University of America. That's right, isn't it, Father Nick? And this evening, he... Father Nick's going to speak to us about suffering. He's going to speak to us about suffering um, in a way that um, he also shares some of his own experience. Um, Father Nick is an amputee and some of that experience he's going to bring into this uh, talk tonight about a difficult area of our, our lives as human beings and also as people of faith. Father Nick, welcome. Thank you very much. It's good to be back with you all again, uh, particularly talking about this particular topic before this radio program started, uh, you and my good listeners out there. Um, we were talking about how, oh, we're talking about suffering, and, and I'm going to be leaning into some of the personal journeys I've had with my amputation as sort of a, a lens to enter into this topic. You know, But during the weekday masses right now, we're hearing from the Book of Job. You know, So how, how fitting is that, that we're going through this you know, sort of time right now uh, with Job. And this is the topic that planned months ahead of time. I know I didn't look at the readings months ago. So obviously I'm taking this as a here, a Holy Spirit sort of providential moment. So, you know, when we're talking about different topics, uh, planning for, you know, this particular uh, radio spot today, you know, the, the suffering was put before me. And uh, one of the things I've been doing for many years now on my, my social media uh platforms although because of my full-time studies i have not been as much engaged in as i'd like to be but that is life um is i really spend a lot of time sort of putting myself out there uh dealing with you know and, and touching on the topic of suffering and what to do in moments of loss you know particularly because i lost my leg uh, what led to that you know and, and i'm not quite 40 yet i'm only 39 um i was we have a program here in the united states uh, called the Peace Corps. I don't know if there's an equivalency or something like that across the across the pond over there in the UK, but it was sort of a, a something dreamed up by John F. Kennedy, Catholic, that we here in the States would go to countries around the world, share our experiences, share our knowledge and wisdom that we get from our schooling, be open to the wisdom and knowledge of those other cultures, and then bring them back here so there'd be a mutual exchange of cultures and the cultivation of peace. Um, so I wanted to serve my country after college, and I didn't believe in going into the army, although I support my the soldiers and things. Uh, I just knew that wasn't for me. So I went to the Peace Corps, and I served in the Gambia in West Africa. Uh, I was pretty badly injured. I was there for about a year. Um, those injuries got infected. Uh, those infections led to a lot of uh, nerve damage. I lost a toe, actually, from that experience. And over the years... You know, and that's probably when I was 23, maybe. Uh, and over the years, what would happen is, you know, I would start to develop ulcers, you know, like one good ulcer a year. Uh, you know, I don't mean good as in I'm happy that it happened to me, but just in terms of, you know, oh, it's a pretty voracious thing. Um, and it just, you know, and, and as the years progressed, one year would be two a year and there'd be this protocol I'd have to go through and keep pressure off of it and be on a series of antibiotics. You know, and it would always be from the inside out. And and finally, 2015, I lost half of my left foot. And then finally, in March of 2019, 
because of all the nerve damage and that affects bone density issues and stuff that I got a nasty bone infection. They had to take uh, my leg. So I'm what they call a below the knee amputee or a BKA sort of, you know, even in the amputee where we have our own nomenclature. So in our own language. And so it's been three years now, a little over actually. And, you know, it's a lot of wrestling. You know, some, you know, there's a lot of aches and pains. It's, you know, not a fun thing. It's not a, a good thing. I'm not happy this happened to me. It just is. And, you know, the first year was not an easy year. You know, I'm speaking to you all now as a man that's so many years removed, that's gone through, you know, psychological services for at least six months, um, that has had amazing good friends that I can just talk with and be raw with and be barren with, uh, going through some very big, massive pity parties, you know, at times. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, there's a great movie that I love. It's called The Shawshank Redemption. And one of the messages within that film, and if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's been out for a long time. But uh, one of the regular messages is, you know, you get busy living or you get busy dying. And the Lord still allowed me to have a life. And after I sort of got out of my own way and I wrestled with some of the wisdom that was coming at me from people I loved, and I was open to the wisdom of the presence of Jesus Christ in my life, particularly through the scriptures, you know, I said, what kind of life do I want to continue to live? You know, I can allow myself to become bitter because of the suffering. Uh, and some people have done that. And this is not a judgment on them. But I know for myself, I could either go to that bitter side or I could say, all right, life is still worth living. I know the Holy Spirit is still upon me. And I know one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. And even in the midst of great joy, you know, we have elements of suffering. Christ, I'm pretty sure, probably had a lot of joy in his heart celebrating the Last Supper, even though he knew what was going to happen. He was still a man that was there in the moment with those disciples celebrating the Passover, giving them a hard message, but still having that fellowship of just being able to be present with them and to support them and to allow himself to be supported by them, even in their imperfections. So within my first couple of minutes there, there's already a lot of different things I put out there in relationship to our reality of suffering. You know, it's something that we're all going to have to go through. I have yet to meet a person that hasn't gone through some aspect of suffering and suffering is not a competition my suffering doesn't make it you know make somehow me more better or greater or etc than any other people's suffering in fact when i look at my own suffering i think how lucky i actually have it i work with couples that have a spouse that has de developed dementia or a child whose parents have developed dementia and they have to go to that loved one every day that no longer remembers them that's that's a level of suffering I have not yet entered into in my own life. Or people that struggle with mental illness, you know, because there's still a lot of stigma. And I can only speak for my own country, my own culture. You know, there's still a lot of uh, stigma on mental illness. And I know we're supposed to use the neurodivergent language. I, I'm still not with that yet. I don't know how it came about. But, you know, people that struggle with mental illness, you know, people are like, oh, I don't want to catch the crazies. And they can kind of still shun them. And, you know, and, and not to be able to trust your own thoughts or your own feelings because you never know if it's coming from yourself or from your illness. You know, these sort of sufferings that don't have a thoroughly visual component, you know, people see that I'm an amputee 
People see that I'm missing a leg. People assume many things, and usually very favorable things, actually, oddly enough, because of it. Sometimes they think I'm a soldier, you know, so I have to be very careful about stolen glory and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, our sufferings, you know, aren't meant to be in a competition over against other people's suffering, but there's a commonality that we're all going to have some level, some aspect, some severity of suffering in our life. And as Christians, we have a fundamental response to that suffering, and it's given primarily to us through the cross. Our Lord has entered into our human suffering. He tells us something extremely important that we must never forget, my brothers and sisters, and that is because he has entered into that cross, because he has embraced that cross, he has entered into our own suffering. Because one of the great lies of suffering is that we go through it alone. It wants to isolate us, and it wants to segregate and separate us off from others so we'd be locked into ourselves. So we can sort of feed some of the darker components with the different aspects of ourselves. And Christ says, no, I'm with you in it, period, and a discussion. And the cross always reveals that to us. And I think that's, is there a break time? I'm, I'm still getting used to the times, my brothers and sisters. So. <laughs> it's a good time for a break, Father Nick. Yeah. continue with Father Nick speaking to us about suffering and through the lens of um, his experience as an amputee. Over to you, Father Nick. So we ended the last segment um, on the notion of the cross. And it's important for us to understand our relationship with the cross. And I brought this up in previous moments on this radio program. And one of the fundamental Verses for me has always been Colossians 1.24, I complete what is lacking the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. We Catholics understand that particular verse, and the context for it is quite beautiful. I highly recommend it. Uh, just spending some time reading that uh, part of Paul's letter to the Colossians. But, you know, that's it gets us into that notion of redemptive suffering, that what I'm going through, because of who Christ is, I am able— in a way I don't fully understand, there's a mystical way here, which doesn't mean it's unknowable, it just means it's inexhaustible. I can't exhaust what I know about it, but somehow I, I am contributing something to the cross in a positive way, and I'm aiding the church through it. You know, I'm, I'm helping people with their ability to embrace and to grow in the great gift of redemption that has been won for us in Jesus Christ. And that's not being Pollyannish. 
You know, that's a word we use over here from that movie Pollyanna, I think it was back in the 60s or whatever, 50s maybe, you know, where you just put a rosy picture on something. No, the suffering is not good. But because Christ has entered into the suffering and by willingly submitting myself over to him by the very grace that he's already been beginning to pour forth into our hearts, you know, Romans 5, 5, that we participate in his redemptive act, which has been done for the church. So somebody that's maybe in a bed that's suffering, you know, when I, I work with people that are sick and they're, they're in cancer treatments or they're in hospice, they're getting near the end of life. You know, I would say, hey, here's some people with, here's their first names. I can't tell you how they're suffering, but please pray for them. As you're suffering, offer their names up to Jesus. You know, just because someone's sick doesn't mean they somehow lose their their usefulness or their function for the church. This is something our Holy Father, Pope Francis, has been hammering for a long time. One of his great homilies he gave on Holy Thursday this past year to the priest is the dangers of seeing the church in functionalistic ways that, oh, well, if I can't do, you know, like, oh, I can't bring up stuff during the Mass or I can't go out and give food to the poor. I can't do this. I can't. Somehow we lose something of who we are. Mm-mm. The cross tells us otherwise, you know, so that has been a source of strength for me as I grow into this life that I have, I now have as an amputee. Notice I don't say a new life. It's just is my life that has been changed a bit, but I, there's certain aspects of me that are still the same. There's certain aspects of me that's had to change and adapt. And there's certain aspects of me that needed to be challenged and maybe, you know, and through this amputation, there was a, a, a notion of that challenging that has given good birth, that has given a fruitful birth, you know, so we have to understand that through our suffering, you know, if we are allowing ourselves, and Christ isn't going to force himself upon us, but if we're allowing ourselves to be really united to Christ, that doesn't mean we're going to have moments of grumbling. Just read some of the, you know, Psalms. There's a lot of psalmists that are grumbling within the book of Psalms. You know, we are able to say, all right, I can still aid the church. I can still serve the church. I can still help out with the redemption that has been won for us as the church. You know, I can't tell you how many times people just come up to me, you know, and and they just say, I, I see what you're going through. I'm going through this. Could you pray for me? You know, could you pray for me, Father? I see you going around campus, you know, and you got, I, I kind of walk like a penguin now. I'm six foot five, 300 pounds. I'm a giant. You know, I sort of have this waddle thing happening. I can only imagine how humorous it is. We got to be able to laugh at ourselves sometime. But people see that or they see with my leg off and they come up and they say, you know, I've seen you, Father. You know, I'm going through something. Could you pray for me? And because of this amputation, it gives them a license to say, oh, he might understand. Maybe not fully, but he may understand and come up and talk, you know. Here in the States, we have the Amputee Coalition. And one of the great things that they provide amputees here in the States is, you know, uh, peer companionship, where they train people that are amputees to be able to just speak with and accompany new amputees to help them with the transition, again, for lack of a better word, into this life of an amputee. You know, because there, there's going to be a moment of an existential crisis. And this is where sort of Job comes in. You know, Job really wrestling with his identity. He was a good man. And a lot of bad stuff happened to him. And he and he never curses God. He never sort of puts the massive questions before God, but he's really wrestling with his existence itself. You know, and and suffering is going to bring us to that place of Job where we wrestle with our very existence. And if we wish to remain rooted in this existence that has been won for us in Jesus Christ, that has originally been created for us because of the Father, that is being sanctified for the Holy Spirit, then we need to 
entrust ourselves over to God, particularly through that second person that is Jesus Christ, who has embraced the cross for each and every one of us. And Job is a, is a great example of that. You know, there's a time to ask those heavy questions. But when we ask ourselves those heavy existential questions, why God? Why did this happen to me? You know, we need to allow ourselves to be honest, to say, all right, Holy Spirit, the one who provides knowledge, who provides understanding, you know, I'm going to ask these heavy things and I'm going to trust it over to you, you know, and sometimes it's going to be silence and answers will come in their own time. But realizing that Christ is still in the suffering with us, that he has not abandoned us, even though we may, quote unquote, now be broken. So there we go with that. Thank you, Father Nick. We have um, some space now for some music and we can take a question if you have one. So as always, I'm just getting the phone line up for you here. The number is 01223-375-564. That's 01223-375-564. And I know, Father Nick, you would really like to hear from people, wouldn't you? Yes, exactly. And there's no, there's no taboo here. Just use nice, clean, appropriate language. You know, but this is this is a time, you know, there, there's a certain rawness that comes with suffering. You know, it, it brings about a certain barrenness that allows us to become more open as the soil does when the farmer opens it, you know, to receive the seeds. So this is a moment where we're having, I hope, a conversation, you know, with all you listening. And this is your opportunity to now contribute to that conversation. So our hearts, notice I say our hearts, all of us together can be more open to receive the great gift of God's seeds of grace. This is meant for each and every one of us. So, yes. So people can say what's truly there. Mm -hmm. they, they Absolutely. Can, they can, yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to put some music on in the meantime. So again, the number is about when we face suffering and um, when we are faced with those times, you know, sometimes you, you don't feel God. Um, and it, that can be so scary in a way. If we can't feel God, does it mean that he's not there? Um, and when we can't feel God, what do we do then? Can we just say whatever? Can we say anything to him? This struggle of talking to somebody, 
but at times when in the dark times, not being sure, what what would you what would you advise for us? Of feeling God. I think we are always feeling God. We just put prescriptions on how we ought to feel with God. Shoulds, oughts, these things can be very dangerous to the spiritual life. I ought to be like this. God, I ought to be feeling like this. I should be feeling like this, and et cetera. So part of the issue, I think, is us understanding and really you know, looking hard at ourselves and wrestling with what sort of things are we projecting on God? You know, the way that God made us feel in our relationship with him in our 20s, you know, for myself, when I was able-bodied, is way different than it's going to be right now. And part of this journey, this pilgrimage, we are pilgrim people, as the church has taught us for hundreds and hundreds of years, and something that was really reaffirmed in the Second Vatican Council, we are pilgrim people, is this reality that we are growing, that we are maturing along the way. We are maturing because of the presence of the Spirit. You know, so when we don't feel the Lord as once we used to, we say, Holy Spirit, I know I have not been abandoned. And this is where knowing our faith, you know, and the great work that you all are doing there, Ave Maria, over in England, you know, helping people to know their faith. So when those dark times come, and they will come, my brothers and sisters, and we don't feel the same presence of God like we once did, you know, maybe in younger periods of our life, or maybe when we were on the mountaintops at certain moments of our life, we know that he is there because his love has revealed this to us. And maybe in time, how the Lord wants us to feel in that moment, you know, and I'm a Carmelite. So we're pretty barren, like we don't really want to trust our feelings in these sort of ways, you know, so we always check these sort of things. We always rely on the Christ that was suffering at the pillar, look at Teresa of Avila, that was kind of one of her massive conversions was after, was after seeing an image, a real statue of, of seeing Christ suffering after he has embraced this pillar and was lashed, you know, and et cetera. So, you know, we have to be be careful with, you know, okay, what sort of things are we projecting on God in terms of, well, I should be feeling like this. I ought to be feeling like this. Well, no, maybe you just need to feel your suffering. You know, maybe we, we need to feel our pain. One of the things I always find great comfort in, and I usually find some way to bring this up at a funeral, is that the shortest passage in the Bible reveals something very profound to us. And that shortest passage is in John 11 where we are reminded that Jesus wept. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. And in that moment, I firmly believe this, that he has sanctified human tears. He has made human tears a kind of holy water. So sometimes, you know, when I'm having a rough day, D.C., for example, is a very humid city, and I'm not always really good at humidity with my prosthetic, you know, and the leg swells and all this, you know, and there's particularly painful days, and sometimes I shed a little tear because I get a little uh, frustrated. Um, I just use that little tear as a kind of holy water, and I bless myself with it. I say, Christ is in that tear. You know, and that's, again, not being Pollyannish. Teresa of Avila says, Christ has no hands but yours now. And that's a woman that's been utterly consumed by the great gift that is the Eucharist and that physical presence of Jesus Christ. So when she says, Christ has no hands but yours now, she means that you are being an extension of the very physical and divine presence of Jesus Christ. So in that human tear that comes forth from suffering, you know, Christ is making himself known even in that human tear, and we can treat it as if it was a kind of holy water. 
And that's because he himself wept, sanctifying our tears. So that's one of the, the things I use throughout my day. And, and even though I may not feel an emotive sense, I can still feel that tear coming down. I can still feel a loving embrace from a friend that knows I'm having a bad day. I can still feel the kind words or the kind stares or just the person's presence next to me. You know, I can feel all these sort of things. And if I believe in the incarnational presence of Jesus Christ, then I know that in those particular feelings themselves, he is there with me, with that other person, myself, us in that moment together. So I hope that helps the listeners a little bit out there. Um, like I said, some of this stuff it can seem, and I really bash on Hallmark because I think it really twists notions of love and sentimentality and all that sort of stuff, you know, but there, you know, these are, these are different feelings that we can have that can be very revelatory. And I mean that in the little R sense, not in the big R biblical sort of sense, but they reveal God to us in those very human moments that the, you know, incarnational presence has raised up. So, yeah. Wow, I bet, yeah, the thought that our tears are holy water. That's, that's, uh, I find that quite an astounding, that's, that's mm-hmm. astounded me. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's important because I think we've all shed tears, whether it's tears mm-hmm. of joy, tears of sorrow, tears of, you know, uh, crying over someone that we lost. You know, just recently I had to bury a family member who had a struggle with a certain thing for a long time and he lost his struggle. Um, and I didn't cry at the funeral. I was presiding at it. But I made sure that weekend before I came back to D.C., I'm from rural Michigan, that I had my own time that I needed at that gravesite. And that was the moment that I shed a tear for my, my cousin, who I love dearly uh, and who I know uh, and I, who I pray for uh, is at peace now with the Lord. So, you know, we should not be ashamed of our tears, never be ashamed of tears. Can tears be exploited, abused, uh, used for manipulation? Absolutely. But when they're treated with authenticity and sincerity, they they are a profound thing. That's why we have the tradition of the of a gift of tears. Sometimes we're just in a moment of prayer and we'll just break down and start crying. We don't know why. But somehow God's grace has touched our heart in a way. And the tradition of the church, a little tea tradition, I spoke about that as the gift of tears. Like in that moment, for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit struck us in a way that moved something spiritually inside of us and the body responds after that encounter with tears there we go thank you i'm going to put some music on again and i'm going to invite you dear listener um it's your turn to call in and share some of your own experience or ask a question
So, Father Nick, we have Elizabeth on the phone. Elizabeth, you're on air. Hello, Father Nick. Uh, I just wanted to say hello, thank you for, hello, such a courageous, you know, witness of personal suffering. And I liked your distinction between um, suffering that others can see and suffering that they can't see. Uh, I think I suffer from both those things. So I haven't really thought about that before. And I think I'm going to, you know, meditate on it a bit and, you know, see where that goes. Uh, is it interesting and helpful, really helpful. Thank you. And also coming to mind, and I've just looked them up, are a couple of quotes. So I just uh, wondered if I could share them with you and with the listeners. Maybe they might be helpful. Um, this first one is from Sister Mary of the Trinity. She's a poor Clare from um, in Jerusalem, uh, first half of the 20th century, and she received uh, in elocutions. I can't see whether they've received an approval, but they seem to be published in a few places. So I hope it's okay if I share it. She's, Jesus uh, said to her, um, I loved suffering. I, the man of sorrows, I chose it because it makes reparation for sin when it is offered with love. It is giving God something that he does not have in his heaven. And I just thought that was, it reminded me of those words in scripture, uh, you know, we can making up for what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. And also Sister Faustina said that if angels were capable of envy, they would envy our sufferings. Um, but that kind of just leads me to the question, you know, there's a lot of discussion around those words in Colossians about what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. And people say, oh, it's a, it's a mistranslation or Paul's talking about his own, what's lacking in his own suffering. Or could you just shed a few of your own thoughts on that verse of scripture and what it could, what it could and does mean? Thank you. Yeah, uh, you betcha. And thank you very much for, you know, for the uh, quotes and for the, the question. I'll probably say something about reparation after I, I get to your question, because uh, that's a great, great topic too, particularly with what we're on. But, you know, it's important to, you know, I only gave one verse, you know, and we have to be careful when we proof text, you know, we just take one verse out of its context and et cetera. I've done a little bit tonight because of the issue of time restraint. Uh, but within first Colossians, we get sort of a universal aspect of Jesus Christ. We're getting sort of a big picture Christ and his presence and who he is in relationship to the cosmos. Uh, so there's a certain grandeur uh, in relationship to what Paul wrote specifically in that 24th verse. So one of the, the sort of the school of interpretation in relationship to that passage that I lean into is the notion that the suffering of Christ upon the cross, it happened in time, but there's also a certain ten, uh, sense of timelessness so, you know, the sufferings that I'm currently going through is something that has been brought into that cross. So in the time of Paul, you know, since Paul was a man of a particular time, of a particular place, to get to that reality of the timelessness, he uses the language of, oh, something lacking. Well, that's because there's going to be a continuation of suffering of human of humanity, you know, in this world. And that human and that human suffering that will be coming in the years to follow is still finding its place in what Christ did upon the cross at that particular time, at that particular place, because God is, you know, Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's both and he's not either or. So that's sort of how I, I wrestle with it a bit or how I have wrestled with it a bit. And that's kind of what I lean into is this, the timeless aspect of 
what Christ did upon the cross. So how my current moments of suffering, your current moments of suffering, everyone out there that's going, you know, that's being brought into the cross. You know, the cross stands in a certain relationship to timelessness and time itself. So kind of a, a pinnacle moment for lack of a better word again. So I hope that helps a little bit with, with understanding that passage. And I think it's a fair interpretation, particularly in relate to the, the, the universal perspective that Paul writes just before that particular um, verse, the 24th verse. Now, in terms of reparation, one of the, and reparation theology has been one of the things that's sort of been pushed to the side uh, since the Second Vatican Council. I don't know why, it just seems to have been an organic thing. Um, but we Carmelites, you know, we're sort of big supporters of it for a long time, particularly in relationship to our devotion to the holy face of Jesus, which has always been tied up with certain notions of reparation. And one of the ways that we understand that is that when we talk about making asks of reparation, just as our suffering is united with Christ on the cross, our acts of charity, our acts of faith, our acts of of hope and love, these things are comforting Christ as the angels did in the garden. So when we talk about sort of a spiritual reparation or acts of reparation, we are in those moments seeking to comfort Christ uh, in the garden. And those uh, thoughts uh, come through a variety of different ways of understanding, particularly when it comes to how the popes would write about cloistered nuns and, and hermits and people that live in enclosures that are out in the world. You know, they have a life of of reparation well that's one of the things that they're doing is helping to you know comfort christ in his suffering that he endured what we think of over two thousand years ago so there's a two for one there for you i hope that helps thank you so much i think i definitely need to go back and uh, read colossians as you say and see it in the, oh, in the bigger context and uh, I, I love that i love that letter of paul so much yeah, and also as a, I just came to mind as a as a Carmelite, and with uh, the feast of Therese of Lisieux coming up, I just mm -hmm. want to wish you a very blessed and happy feast well, thank day. Thank you very much. May she intercede for for you. Amen. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Thank you for your time. Bye. Thanks, Elizabeth. Um, I can see I have another caller. I'll be back in one moment. You are. Father Nick, we have Anne on the line, and you're on air. Thank you, Ellen. Hello, Father Nick. Um, I just really want to thank you on behalf of the silent majority, really, who found your words so helpful this evening. Um, I think next time uh, all of us will have, will have sorrows to face, that we'll remember your words. I certainly will. And those tears... I'll bless myself with them. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Anne, for your, your kind words there. I'm most appreciative. You know, and this is why it's important and, and something our Holy Father Pope Francis re is really hammering is the necessity of dialogue. You know, and that's just not some sort of quaint idea, but it allows us to become open to the lives of each other because we are a pilgrim people. And it allows us to begin to see, you know, the other with the eyes of Christ, 
um, and to be seen by the eyes of Christ. And that may make us very uncomfortable, you know, but one of the things we always have to remember is that when we learn to be able to just be with each other, to speak with each other, to help each other, you know, when we think of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, for example, it's through these sort of moments that we're able to allow these gifts to be open within us. So it's these sort of encounters of us, you know, dialoguing even on the radio here, but in the authenticity of the Spirit, that the gifts of understanding, for example, may become more open. So we're able to understand our Lord better by being present with each other in this very moment. So thank you very much, Anne. I'm very appreciative. And thank you very much, Father Nick. God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And we still have some time left. Um, Father Nick, should I put a little bit of music on again just to see if we have uh, anybody that's Please, wanting? Yeah. And then we, and I know you've got a little bit more to say to us as well. Um, so we have time. So dear listener, whether you've called in before or not, whatever you would like to ask or say, it doesn't have to be clever. It doesn't have to be anything in particular. Um, you are welcome. We're here together. Uh, we share with one another. We are here present for one another in whatever way that means for you. So if you would like to call, as I've said, I have two lines left open. And when you call in, you hear the radio. And if you just wait, the number is 01223 I'll put music on and wait to see if you would like to speak. And then after that period of time, we'll either have some questions again or Father Nick will speak with Liz again. Father Nick, do you know it? No, but you've been playing excellent music for this hour, so thank you very much. Okay, um, we have about 10 minutes left. Would you speak to us a little bit more before we come to the end of our evening with you? Yeah. One of the things I think we have to be careful of, of in relationship to our suffering or seeing the sufferings of others um, is our ability to tell stories. And it's a great ability. It's a great gift that we humans have. And it's something that we can see within every culture. It's, it's like a real universal is this storytelling capacity that we have. And, and I believe it comes from us being created in the image and likeness of God, who is a creator, you know, and our, our storytelling is a, is a manifestation of that reality of our creative foundation. But, you know, we can, we can put false stories out there too. You know, we can create a false story around our suffering. 
we can create a false story around the suffering of another. We can put it in a negative way or a positive way. Um, and we, we need to be people that strive for authenticity, you know, and saying, all right, you know, this, you know, maybe I did something that has attributed to the suffering I'm going through. Um, maybe that person's done something that's attributed to the suffering they're going through. Maybe they're completely innocent. Maybe I'm completely innocent. What we need to strive for is authenticity, uh, and openness in the moment, you know, and one of the great tools that I think we have that can help us in striving for an authentic response and suffering. I've already given a couple of tools, you know, going to the cross, for example, having community, for example, you know, bringing up one of the lives of the saints, going to the scriptures, you know, there's been a variety of things. I haven't been calling them tools, but I've been putting them out there as a, as a way to help us in our moments of suffering. And one of the last tools I, I wish for us to turn towards is the great gift of the scriptures or the scriptures. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little tired now. It's been a long day of school is, is the church's liturgy. How does the church pray in the moment of suffering? You know, they're in the book of blessing. It's this big brown book. It's probably in all the offices for your parish priests and stuff. You know, there's certain prayers and scriptures that the, the church turns towards in those moments that a priest is called with the community to bless a sick person and those that are struggling with illnesses. Um, there's also things in regarding, you know, moments of death. You know, uh, there's certain prayers that can be prayed depending on how a person died. If a person dies young, there's prayers for that person's funeral. Well, how does the church pray in that moment? Uh, when a couple die or someone that's been married for a long time dies, there's, there's prayers for that. There's also a prayer for when someone dies because of a suicide, you know, and there's a lot of suffering that the family has to endure when they wrestle with the reality that maybe someone they love has taken their own life. And that's not a fun topic to speak about, but how does the church pray in that moment? You know, and when we can't find maybe the words to pray in that moment or the words to speak with God in that moment, then we can lean into, and I believe we should be leaning into, the church's liturgy. And how does the church pray in that moment? How is the church responding in that moment through her liturgical life where she is giving herself and all aspects of who she is over to Christ in that moment of suffering at a funeral or an illness or in marital strife. You know, the liturgy can be a great tool and a great resource for us um, if we if we allow ourselves just to be permeated by it. You know, the, the colic prayers that a priest says at Mass just aren't quaint little prayers, but they tell us something important about who we are in that moment and what we're asking of God during that Mass and during that moment of prayer. You know, so I found, at least in terms of my ministry as a priest, being with people through a variety of different times of suffering, there's a lot of times I just don't know what to say. But for whatever reason, the Lord has made it clear to me, turn to the liturgy. You know, go to the liturgical prayer. And I, I brought up suicide because I just always lean into that particular prayer. That's It's within the funeral book. Over here, it's like a blue cover book. Uh, the the rite of Christian funeral. It's in the back, but it's it's a profound prayer in which we invoke God's mercy and God's love for that person in that moment. You know, and it's not some sort of quaint idea. It's saying, hey, this is what we believe, and this is how we are going to pray. You know, so it's not just the prayer of that particular person or those particular family members, but we all are suffering with that particular family that lost a loved one because of a certain act, and we are praying together through the prayer of the church and we're all being raised up and strengthened by it. So the liturgy 
can be a great way to help provide us a language to pray in certain moments when we feel that we cannot pray, you know, and help to get us through and to break us through maybe some of the false narratives that we may be feeding ourselves or that we may even be sort of prescribing or putting upon others that, you know, we're trying to accompany or to journey with, you know, or just to be present to, or even those that we may see as our enemy and we just want to tear down. We say, well, of course they're going through that right now. Look at what they did. Well, I just sort of put in maybe within my heart somewhere an attention upon that particular person, which is kind of a story I've been telling myself about who that person was. And this is why they're going through that and, you know, good on them, you know? Um, so, you know, that's a, that's another big tool, I think, to help us is, is the life, the liturgical life of the church to aid us in our moments of suffering. And we're people of the resurrection. Absolutely. And the, 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 lit the liturgy always brings us there, doesn't it? And uh, the mm -hmm. hope of that, that life everlasting. I, um, is there, would you share a, a piece of, any pieces of scripture that you go to on your bad days, Father Nick? Are there any that it's just nice to hear what yours might be? Psalm 37, verse 8, fret not, it tends only towards evil. The psalm is much bigger than that, but... Um, that one always, because that's one of my peccadillos, is I get stewing on things. It's a, I don't know if it's character defect, it just is. So I have to break myself out of that cycle. So I said, oh, fret not, it tends only towards evil. Mm -hmm. You know, Colossians one twenty four, the runner's prayer for my runners out there, which is what, Philippians 4.13. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, that's always a big one. Mm -hmm. um, what is it? Uh, I think it's Luke. 14 verse 11 uh those that humble themselves will be exalted and those that exalt themselves will be humbled you know like how am i responding am i am i allowing my suffering to cultivate a spirit of humility or i'm using it as a way to say hey you know getting things getting attention i can even i can even exploit my sufferings and my amputation to manipulate people to get what i want so i have to remember no i'm called to a life of humility you know so is this thing that I'm going through that I am calling my own suffering, is it cultivating that foundation stone of humility that Christ has shown us during his profound and, and wonderful life? I love that, the, that we can mm -hmm. um, pray with the scriptures depending on our own tendencies and personalities and situations. Mm -hmm. um, I bet you're tired now. <laughs> um, <laughs> after your day studying thank you so much for your time this evening Father Nick. it's been um it's just been amazing and i know i've been moved by what you've said and i know that uh, tools doesn't seem to be the right word to use but th th there are so many so many pieces of advice that you have given us that we can draw on thank you thanks a million and would you would you send us off with a prayer and a breath blessing <clears throat> You betcha. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, as we gather together this day to contemplate, to meditate upon the reality of suffering in our life, may we be strengthened by the presence that we offer to each other by the power of the Spirit as we seek to continue to grow in the great gift that we are as the church, the pilgrim people of God, entrusted with your name to be shared throughout the whole world. And I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.